Chapter 8 The Throne Key The Doctrine of Last Things Your lungs sting as you gasp for air. You look down and see clouds below and the ragged rocks of the mountain peak just under your feet. Your lungs sting as you gasp for air. You look up and the stars are so close. They are like streams of white ribbons holding the darkness back from the world far below the mountaintop. And then you hear his wise voice and with it, you can breathe again. At the end of all things, your future can be better than your beginning. The king wants to show you what waits ahead for the citizens of his kingdom, as well as what lies ahead for the serpent's slaves. For those who are the kings, there is a blessed hope. For his enemies, there is only a forever curse. Right now, you stand between what the death killer started and what the death killer will complete. The kingdom is small today, but soon it will cover everything the king has made. What you are about to see is what will happen at the end when the king wins. He conquers his enemies and he makes his world better than when it began. But like those traveling through a storm to get to paradise, you must first face the consequences of a world torn by sin before you can see the perfect plans he has for his creation. The coming grave. We begin where you will end first. Death waits at the end of everyone's life, including yours but it doesn't mean the king is done with his image bearers. There is more work to be done, especially for those who belong to the death killer. Maybe you've heard about death's ways, or maybe you've even met death in your own life. Death makes a mess of things because death is friends with sin. It helps make up the poison the serpent injected into the world so long ago. It is a part of God's just and right judgment against sinners, which is why it looms like a dark cloud on your life's horizon. Death tries to break the king's design for you by snapping the unity between the image bearer's body and soul. Death sends the body to the grave and the soul into what those in your world might call the in-between. That's because your soul is unbreakable. The soul does not go into the grave. The in-between. Instead, after death, the soul stands on this side of the grave, separated from the body, waiting for its new and better body to come. What happens in the in-between depends on who has your allegiance. If you belong to the death killer, then you enter immediately into heaven and the presence of your king. If you carry the mark of the serpent, then your soul plunges headlong into Hades, the place of unbearable torment and despair. In the in-between, the mix of good and bad, love and pain that we all know so well in this world is gone. Those who are with the king know only the good, true and beautiful, while those who serve the serpent feel only the bad, false and ugly. Up ahead, it is all or nothing. 
You either stand in the warm light of the King's love, or you suffer in the hopeless heartache of the serpent's hateful sting. The Resurrection for All Yet the in-between is not the end. That is why it's called the in-between. A reunion is coming, one the Death Killer showed us long ago. Do you remember the empty tomb? On the other side of the in-between is a resurrection, a promise that you will know life again as body and soul. What sin and death broke, the King fixes and makes even better than before. Bodies that were once weak, lowly, embarrassing, and slowly falling apart, the King recreates into bodies that will finally and fully be strong, glorious, honorable, and perfect. The King is not done with you. Death does not win. That is why the Son is the death killer. It is why there is an empty tomb. After a short time of the soul being away from the body, the King will bring his design back together, this time with more glory and perfection, especially for his faith-filled ones. The Death Killer Returns The resurrection waits for the Death Killer's second coming. Remember, the King is not finished. The Son will return to his world in the same way as he left it at his ascension. It will be a personal, incarnational, visible, glorious, and victorious homecoming. He comes a second time not to deal with sin, but to conquer and usher in the King's promises in full. He comes not with a cross this time, but with a sword, in order to make everything right for those who are waiting for Him. And though the King freely gives you this promise, he does not offer you the specific time of his death killer's return. But the promise is enough to keep your eyes open to his coming and your hearts pure for his arrival when he brings glory and justice. The Last Judgment But before the king starts your world's new beginning at your world's end, he promises one final judgment. From his great throne, the one you saw across the crystal glass sea, the death killer will judge the trust, loyalty, and love of every single image bearer based on the works that flow out of each person's faith. The sun will announce to the onlooking cosmos who belongs to him and who belongs to the enemy. And then he will pour out his full wrath upon the serpent and the faithless turning hell into the lake of fire where all who oppose the king will suffer misery, pain, and torment forever. If you stand against the death killer, you face an eternity without hope, without the king, without peace, without love, without end. All things new. But for those who belong to the death killer, he has taken this wrath and punishment on himself. You don't have to face it because he already faced it for you and made a way for you to spend forever before his glorious and grace-filled face. Not only do you have him, which is and will forever be enough, 
but he keeps giving you more and more with completed promises upon completed promises. He makes you a part of his people. He gives you a place where you can rest and rejoice. He gives you his presence without limit and without end. He does this all with the new heavens and new earth. To see it, just look up. And there, coming down out of heaven, almost within reach of the mountain peak, is a heavenly city. But it is unlike any city you've ever seen. It extends over the whole face of the restored earth. It both reflects and surpasses the image, shape, and dimension of the old city Jerusalem. And when you look closer, the very temple, without restrictions, that used to be that city's center. It is a city adorned with gold and precious stones. It has walls without gates, filled with people from every corner of the earth in every year of earth's old calendar. Still, the city has a garden-like beauty to it. That is because a river of life, like those that bordered Eden long ago, now flows from the throne where the king rightfully sits robed in brilliant light. And then a new and better voice, a regal and powerful one, speaks from the throne, shaking the mountain and the recreated world with these glorious and perfect words. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21, 3-4 As things calm and settle, the same beautiful yet imposing voice that just shook the new heavens and new earth whispers, like he was right next to you, this promise. Behold, I am making all things new. Revelation 21.5 You turn, hoping to see the king, but he is not there. Instead, all you see is a faint shadow of someone you vaguely recognize. He stands for a moment and then asks you, in that all too familiar and wise voice, the question you've been asking yourself ever since you met him. Do you want him to make you new?